Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, I have never in my entire time doing The Afterword gotten more emails than I have this week about last week's Afterword. Now, I don't know whether it was Jay Kim being particularly insightful as we talked about what it means to love your neighbor. I don't know if it was the brain science stuff, or I don't know if it was the fact that I decided to play We Are the World and then do a running commentary at the very end of that. I don't know. Regardless, thank you all for writing in. Uh, I want to say thanks to Alejandro Chavez. You're super kind for your words, and keep listening. Jim Singleton, you were the first to write in. You wrote in like Sunday night. That was crazy. I had just released it into the ether, and you're already writing, so thanks thanks for that. We also, I want to say a special shout-out across the oceans to Elisa Bowe, all the way from Australia, who wrote in. She lives there, goes to church there, but she listened to the afterward because she lived in the Bay Area for a bit. So, Elisa, um, good day. Sorry, sorry, I don't, I don't really do an Australian accent. I'm, I'm terrible. I just want to also say thanks to Craig Lemus for recommending his tree guy. I mentioned in the episode I had a Japanese plum tree that was dropping fruit and it was all over the place. I was in need of a tree trimmer, and so uh, Craig, thanks for, thanks for sharing. As I think Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend shares his arborist at all times. And also last week, I was at the 4 o'clock service at the Saratoga campus. We had beach baptisms, so kind of Westgate sent its first, second, third, fourth, and fifth string pastors there for that important moment. So I was left, so I got to preach, and I got to uh, be there at the 4 p.m. service with Rachel Hughes, who is always a delight and an encouragement. Thanks for listening, all of you guys, and we uh, were excited. Now, this week, we are back in the book of Matthew, if you can believe it. I know. It's been a little while, but we're back, and we are back at this moment in Matthew 17, which for my money might be one of the weirdest moments in all of Scripture. And I'm not just saying that to be hyperbolic. It literally is unique. Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're the only three out of the 12 that get to go with Jesus. So he's super playing favorite student here. He goes uh, and goes up a mountain and and there he's transformed, like he turns into like white lightning and he like starts glowing and it's crazy. And then then uh, clouds come and then God the Father speaks from heaven and he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to this, listen to him. And then uh, Moses shows up and Elijah shows up like force ghosts at the end of Return of the Jedi, Anakin and Yoda, and they're just glowing and sitting there. And Peter, James and John are terrified and it's just surreal. It's like, what a moment here. What a moment. And uh, it's just insane. So we're going to talk about that. Karina Gerard is here in the studio to help us understand and break this down, the significance of this moment. And it's called the transfiguration, if you're wondering. And so with that, let's just, uh, let's just dive right in. So, okay, so The Wizard of Oz, it, are you talking about the movie or the book? Because I don't, it seems like, are, are you a big fan of the movie? I like both the book oh, okay. and the movie. Yeah, so, so yeah. they're it, a little different, but sure. I think the experience of the wizard is the same. Just uh, the So they kind of go in there, they expect um, the Oz, great and powerful. Right, and he's just this frail, afraid old man. So you're saying that that experience, which kind of mirrors so much of 
many popular people's or many people's experience with like authority yeah. or in fact very few people like it used to be if you asked a kid back in the 50s like who's your hero kids could like rattle off a list of people who are their hero but today if you ask this current generation very few people have heroes because uh, i think there's like if i put my hope in yeah. a hero, I'm just going to be disappointed by them. I remember this moment when you think um, Instagram and, and all the social media has made that the, these people more accessible and therefore less able to be on pedestals because they do would say something stupid or human or something possibly, or just news. You know, we have access to so much information yeah. and uh, some could say a moral decline. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure, sure. So yeah, just in general, people uh, don't live in a way that's really hero worthy. Um, there was a moment where my husband and I were pretty faithful watchers of the Tour de France. Oh. And I can remember clearly. I love what you just did there. You didn't call it the Tour de France. No. No. You you got all French on me. That's right. I cannot <laughs> pronounce French words. Did you have a favorite writer? So every year, you know, we'd, we'd have someone we're rooting for. Yeah, yeah, sure. And there's this one year we were at his uh, family's um, second home in the mountains in Auvergne. And every That's afternoon, over in France for those of you listening. Yes, we're watching the Tour de France and we'd root for someone. Yeah. And then they'd get busted in a oh, no. drug test. Oh, no. So then the next day we were like, okay, oh, who no. are we going to root for now? Oh, no. And then they got eliminated. It's like and it, uh, so then we just stopped rooting like for people yeah, yeah. because they all kept getting uh, eliminated for for drug use and I feel like that's just in general how you know heroes don't really exist in our yeah. culture they've all been eliminated mm. and uh, yeah. yeah I think that's kind of the experience that we see in the Wizard of Oz they they look behind the curtain and they're wildly disappointed so you're by saying, what they find there yeah so you're saying this is like the anti-example of what's happening in matthew 17 on the mountain absolutely so yeah. this is like the 180 this is the uh anti-example stranger things yeah the upside, the upside down. down oh i yes, love that i love yes, what you did there yeah so talk to me about when you because uh, first of all before we get into this I, and I don't know how much you want to get into this. Matthew 17 might be one of the weirdest passages in the Bible. Nothing like this happens. Like something similar to this happens a couple of times, but nothing like this happens anywhere else in the entire Bible. Two people who are giant heroes who are dead show up, talk to G I mean, yeah. this is madness. Now we've had other moments in the Bible that are weird. Isaiah gets ushered into the throne room, right? There's, there's some, there's some, uh, Ezekiel, there's some weird stuff. Ezekiel has some a crazy dream. There's an axe. There's, yeah, I mean, there's a finger writing. There's all kinds of. Oh, oh that's that's super weird. There's fun, things, right? Right. Yeah. And so there's even when uh, Stephen is dying, he get mm. kind of sees. Oh yeah, the curtain opens. The curtains yeah. of, of so there's some weird, crazy stuff that reveals. I'm a big fan of this passage myself. But this is yeah. really weird. So when you encountered, you were like, when you encountered, did you kind of feel the weirdness of it? Because it's weird. Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus in front of Peter, James, and John. Yeah. In, and then God, Yahweh, God the Father speaks. Speaks, yeah. So it's like, it's pretty crazy. I think... Yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just weird like that, but I'm into it. I'm so into it. Uh, interestingly, I think a little bit of it is our Protestantism. You know, um, 
Historically, the Feast of the Transfiguration is one of the 12 great feasts that the church celebrates every year, but we kind of don't have that because we're not like celebrating the traditional Christian calendar. So I think the Transfiguration is a little bit lost on the Protestant church. It's much more in the forefront of a church that celebrates you know, a church calendar. So what historically, you've done more research on this than I, what historically is the Feast of uh, Transfiguration supposed to evoke in a follower? Yeah. What's it supposed to remind us? Because feasts are like reminders, right? Absolutely. So what is it supposed to remind us or teach us in that rhythm? Yeah, so actually they would have just celebrated it. It's August the 6th. And on that day, people wear white to kind of commemorate this idea that Jesus' clothes were whiter than even a a launder could get could get them. And um, interestingly, they they bring uh, tide pods. They bring tide pods. (laughs) No. For their white laundry, oh, no. Oh, no, the Tide Pod <laughs> Challenge. No. What do they bring? Uh, they bring uh, grapes, and they, they bless the grapes. It's very interesting. What's that mean? Uh, yeah, they, they pray a blessing mm. over the grapes, and they, then they eat them as a celebration um, of of uh, the transfiguration feels like this uh this uh this celebration was uh, brought to you by napa valley <laughs> <laughs> that's right and then they have a beautiful liturgy that they read um they have a whole uh separate liturgy for the transfiguration that is different from the ones that they would do on other sundays so it's like a a whole thing that every year they're like remembering the transfiguration for them it's a very like one of the 12 it's one of 12 one of 12 feasts that they want to be like before the people on an annual basis okay so yeah. we're uh, that we're uh, if you were trying to communicate which you did um mm. but if you're trying to communicate to me and other believers why the transfiguration is such a big deal mm. why it deserves to be one of the 12 moments yeah because again we we actually kind of forget some of this other stuff we forget completely the ascension mm. Yeah. We just basically do the birth, the death, the resurrection, but we kind of forget about the, the yeah. ascension. Yeah. Uh, why? Why is the why is the transfiguration this moment in Matthew seventeen? Why is it so important for us to keep in mind as you have thought about this passage and reflected on it? What does it do for for you? What do you want it to do in other people? Like when you think about your kids, mm-hmm. like they're you know when they're thinking about Jesus, why is this moment important? Yeah. So I think there's two huge takeaways from this passage. The first is that in this moment, we can see undeniably that Jesus is God. Uh, In the chapter before, Matthew 16, that we read about eight months ago, (laughs) something like that. a long time ago. uh, The question was, well, first he says, who do they say I am? And then he points to the disciples, who do you say I am? And, and, you know, and Peter, Peter makes answers, the pronouncement, right, right? You're the Messiah. And this is the first time in the text that somebody has said that, like one of the disciples has said that the disciples, other in, people, in, have, right. Yeah, other Interestingly, people, yeah. other, uh, non-Jews have, have stated yeah, it, interesting. but here's the first time his, his disciples really are able to, to verbalize that. So Peter gets it, Peter gets it, but he gets it, but I think he doesn't get it. I think sure. in this moment in the transfiguration, because, okay, this word Messiah means the anointed one which is referring to a king, right? King David was the anointed one. He was anointed as king. Of course, they realize this is like King 2.0, but I don't think they fully realize everything that Jesus Messiah is until this moment, the transfiguration where we really see 
that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there's some weird aspects. Like he starts glowing. Yeah. Uh, which is reminiscent to me of, to, uh, I, I started, the thing that came to my mind, and I'm not Jewish, but Peter, James, and John certainly were. They must have thought about the vision that Ezekiel had, where the son of man, this weird mm. humanoid figure appears and begins speaking to him. It's like God's representative glowing in white. Um, I have this, I, I, wrote, I wrote it down. That's in, um, listen to Ezekiel chapter one. Um, I looked and saw what appeared from a figure that was like a man. And I saw from what appeared to be his waist, he looked like glowing metal mm. as if on fire. He looked like fire and a brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. Yeah. And then in chapter eight, he comes this figure, the son of man, this mysterious son of man, who's God's representative comes back and it says he was as bright as glowing metal. And then in Daniel, I thought about Daniel, the vision that Daniel has in Daniel seven. And then later in 10, I looked up and there was a man, a, a, the one of those is as appearance as though a man dressed in white linen, yeah. His belt of fine gold, his body was like topaz, his face was like lightning, and his voice like the sound of a mul- multitude. And you see the, that those images carried on. When John has the vision, way, 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 way at the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's one dressed like a son of man in Revelation 1, dressed in a robe, in a golden sash. His head was white like wool, his, as white as snow, his eyes were like blazing fire. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. So you see these images kind of kind of keep going through. So that was the first thing that came to mind, that this is not Jesus, the lowly carpenter, walking along the dust. And, and it's in such stark cr- uh, contrast, because from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's been so humble, right? Born in this stable, so lowly, um, you know, willingly living in poverty and in this moment we actually see him as he truly is and it's yeah. like oh my gosh i you know woe is me i am a man of unclean lips right, it's like right. the guys fall down well, on the ground yeah, 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 yeah they're like yeah. oh my gosh we can't even how can we be in his presence it's right. it's overwhelming to them so for you this moment of transfiguration is 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 it's tied to peter's announcing that he's the messiah times like 50 he sees like oh my gosh what I said was true, but is way more true than even I could even possibly have understood Absolutely. or imagined. Yes. All right. Yeah. And then you've got the ratification of God, the father's voice, which is reminiscent of the baptism. Like this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But then there's another added little line here. So, yeah. so follow, listen him, like listen, listen to him. Yeah. yeah. And not like just hear him, but yeah. like do what he says. Do what of, he says. Yeah. Right. So, right. So you've got Moses who's there the representative of the Old Testament law. You have Elijah, who's there, the representative of the Old Testament prophets. And God is saying, I mean, you imagine, Peter, John, James, they're looking at their childhood heroes. <laughs> Speaking of heroes, they're looking at their yeah. heroes, Moses and Elijah. And God is like, those guys are cool and all, but this is my son. Listen to him. And the most famous prayer Jews would have prayed is the Shema, right. which is this, I'm going to listen, meaning I'm going to hear, I'm going to obey. And God's saying, I want you to Shema Jesus. Ooh. Oh, so there's that that neat level of of Jewish Shema-ness oh, yeah. on top of that. That's really interesting. So much Shema-ing. Yeah. 
Uh, one other thing that I did, I don't know if you had time to get into this. Um, I love this idea that you and Jay both brought out what, which was that both Elijah and Moses were, yes, they were a stand in for the law and the prophets, but as, as leaders, they both kind of experienced God in his fullness, but not really. Yeah, they both had these really interesting mountaintop moments. Just speaking of yeah. these mountains, right? So uh, Moses has this time where he goes up the mountain and he wants to experience God's presence. And God's pretty much like, you actually can't handle this that. This is in Exodus 33. <laughs> like, yeah. this, this would kill you. Right. So he's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you hide in like the... Na- uh, the crook, the nanny. How do you say that? The, the cleft, cranny, the, the cleft, cleft, the cleft, the cleft, a cleft it's a weird, chin. Yeah, it's weird. The cleft of a rock. Hide in this rock, and my presence is going to pass by you. And it says that Moses gets to see like the the backside of God. So God glory. Mo- moons. <laughs> right Moses. there, you go. Yeah, there you go. That's what every and teen then, boy thinks. Then yeah. Moses comes down, and his face is like shiny. Yeah, and he's like reflecting. He do, he's not emanating the light himself in the way that Christ is in this moment. As Christ is shining, this is actually coming from him because he is God. But Moses it's like is like residual he's, glory. He's like the moon. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. the moon doesn't actually produce light. It's just reflecting the light yeah. of the sun. Yeah. And it's like because he even just saw the presence of God pass by, his face is yeah. like shining with the yeah. glory of God. So he has this experience where the the presence passes him by. And then Elijah, same thing. Well, same mountain. They're both on Sinai, which is crazy. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. I just, I just read that this today and I was like, wait, what? It's the same place. Anyway, go ahead. So he wants to experience God's presence and there's yeah. this whole thing. There's this great wind and God was not there. And, then, right. and God's presence passes by. And it's yeah. like, he just yeah. gets to see this like fleeting just a little bit. And it's actually so beautiful because now these two guys are are actually seeing their hero, right? <laughs> yeah. Like Moses and Elijah, both of them prophesied about the coming Messiah. Yeah. Both of them saw this passing by. It's like of a the glimmer, presence, not the whole glimmer. thing, just a bit. And here in this moment, they're getting to see the, the one whole that they thing. had always yeah. hoped to see. There's this beautiful passage in Hebrews 11 that kind of um, talks about this. Um, actually, a couple of verses in Hebrews 11, and it says, all of these people, and it's speaking about the heroes of the faith, sure, sure. which Abraham, would include Moses, Elijah, Moses all, and all Elijah. Of, yeah. Absolutely. It says, all of these people died still believing what God had promised them. That is this coming Messiah who will crush the serpent's head right in Genesis 3. And it said, they did not receive what they promised, but they saw it all from a distance, just this passing by, and they welcomed it. Um, And then it goes on in verse 39 and said, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them had received all that God promised, for God had something better in mind for us. And now they're seeing firsthand the better thing that God had in mind, this Jesus, not just anointed king, but anointed king Emmanuel, God with us. So this would have been... It's like the completion. Uh, It's really cool. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, uh, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment 
of yeah. all of those promises, of all of those scriptures. In fact, you know, there's that story after the resurrection where these guys are on the road to Emmaus and they see resurrected Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Right. And it says, Jesus explained the scriptures to them, going through the law and the prophets, explaining the plan of God. How it all pointed to Jesus. Exactly. Right? Yeah. All about him. Hey, one, uh, two other things about this. First, let's talk about the reaction of the disciples. Because I found this really interesting. So God shows up. He talks. There's the brilliance of Jesus. He's transformed. Uh, Moses is there. Elijah's there. And their result is, it says that they they cower in fear and they fall fall down. Yeah. And I, I, I did some preliminary l- looking at this. It seems like every single person who encounters God falls down. So, or is afraid, right? So it starts in Genesis 3, right? I heard the sound in the garden and I hid. Mm. Moses in the burning bush. Moses hid his face. He was afraid. Mm. Mount Sinai, you know, and and there was a, there was all the people are gathered. There's a rumbling. God shows up. They're afraid. Yeah. Second Chronicles, the very first time the temple kind of opens up, the priest, God's glory shows up. The priests could not stand to minister. They were shook to the, to, uh, and they fell down. Yeah. Isaiah, when he encounters God in his vision, like you just said, what was me? And he falls down. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, um, when the angel of the Lord stands before the, the the shepherds, they're terribly frightened. When the wise men come, they fall down on their face before Jesus, mm-hmm. the infant. When Jesus is about to get arrested, yeah. um, the guards, the guards all yeah. fall down. Yeah. In Revelation, when John sees the risen Christ, the one we just talked about, the white, you know, glowing lightning Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he falls at his feet as though dead. Yeah. Um, it seems like no humans can stand before God. Absolutely. And I think we forget, that. I forget that. Totally. Just this idea that no one stands before God. You don't stand when God shows up. You just don't. It's like a thing. And, and I, I, I really think in my own arrogance, I kind of can or should and Mm. and so there's something about uh the proper place of god and there is there is a there's a term for this i think it's dolores tremens the fear of the lord you you Mm -hmm. fall down like this is the human reaction when encountering god is to fall and so that's something absolutely to talk and and so uh, um I know the fear of God is something that can be manipulated. We talk, you know, we've talked about that a lot. People have abused that and all that. Is there a proper place for fear? And how do you, how do you think about the fear? How do you think about what happened to Peter and James and John? How do you think about their reaction? Just how, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think, uh, so there's two things I think that the transfiguration teaches us. The first is that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, Uh, He is completely worthy of our awe and our worship, our allegiance, and our obedience. So, um, you know, when you, so holiness, I mean, that's a whole, we could spend hours talking about what does it mean that God is holy. But uh, when we realize, first of all, his perfection, his awe, his wonder, he's so far above us. At the same time, that moves us to gratitude because it's by the blood of Jesus that he makes it possible for us to draw near to God. So that should just feel, fill us with with love and gratitude and thanksgiving. But his otherness, like 
God's thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. He is so far above me. Kind of Job's conclusion at the end of the book that, wow, I I spoke of things I didn't actually understand at all. Like, Mm. um, I think that's a really healthy place for... I can remember the first time I went to um, the Grand Canyon. You know, I'd seen pictures of it. And I thought I understood how big it was, and then I got there, and I, I don't think I could talk. It was so much grander, so much bigger, so much more beautiful. I just stood in, in awe and wonder of its greatness. And if you were to come face-to-face with the presence of God himself, like completely unveiled before you, it would be... The Grand Canyon times a million. Mm-hmm. I felt that way the first time I saw Cheesecake Factory's menu. So just <laughs> weeping at just the magnitude and the, the magnitude. beauty. Their serving sizes, <laughs> yes. Their portions. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and it does say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm. So fear, uh, and you know, fear is an okay place to start. You know, perfect love, however, casts out fear. So uh, it does make sense that, you know, humans are self-preservation. There's a self-preservation in us. And I love Jesus yeah. touches them. So <laughs> oh, they're, they're it says afraid. He touches? I Jesus didn't see that. touches them and oh. says, do not fear. Oh, see, that's awesome. So that's a great, s- yes, that's a great sign. step two, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like f- first, yeah. yeah, be in awe and wonder, shock and awe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But, but then. But then. What's crazy? I mean, God could melt us. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and he touches them mm-hmm. and says, don't fear. Yeah. Now, the, uh, to be fair, humans can't just approach God any way they want, but God can approach any human any way he wants. Absolutely. <laughs> so that it works that way. And this whole thing is yeah. pointing to the cross, the yes, mechanism sure. by which he'll even sure. make it possible for us to be in his presence sure. without melting. Yeah, yeah. You... Sorry, I think we went, I, I think I derailed this. You said that the transfiguration actually shows two core things. Mm. One is the, the, just the sovereignty, the bigness, that Jesus is actually God. Right. What was the second one that you kind of pointed yeah. out? That we should uh, listen and obey him? Is that what it was? No, or no. did I mishear it? The second is um, the reality of the resurrection and second coming. The transfiguration is pointing us towards the hope of resurrection and second coming. So very interesting in a hymn um, in the Byzantine liturgy that is from the sixth century. Okay. It's called, I think uh, everyone here is excited about going into Byzantine right? literature. Ab- yeah, really. Their, their thanks, hymn book. Thanks for hymn, bringing that in. That's really <laughs> their uh, hymn book called the Kontakion. This is, this is what they say should be our takeaways from the transfiguration. It says this, On the mountain, you were transfigured, O Christ God, and your disciples beheld your glory as far as they could see it, Mm -hmm. so that when they would behold you crucified, they would understand that your your suffering was voluntary and would proclaim to the world that you truly are the radiance of the Father. Wow. So they have these two parts. You're the radiance of the Father, a.k.a. Jesus is God. Right. God's not a guru, a teacher, a prophet, or a philosopher. He is God. Right. And two, this idea, your 
suffering is voluntary. Jesus said, no one's taking my life Mm -hmm. away from me. I willingly lay it down so that I will take it back up again. And here they're seeing Jesus in his full glory and power. And in fact, there's, there's a later verse that says that our bodies also will be transfigured as we are resurrected, that we'll receive new heavenly bodies. And I can't wait. In a way, <laughs> this is a I foretaste. Think I think I'm going to be thinner and stronger. Mm, nice, nice, <laughs> nice. And then the fact that yeah. Elijah and Moses are here also give us this hope of the resurrection, that here are two gentlemen who have clearly... Died. Passed on in some way. They actually both have very interesting passings, mysterious passings. Elijah's taken up in this chariot. Elijah's taken up. Moses dies, though. Uh, yes, it says that God buried him. It's very interesting. Oh, so yeah, there's a little. Yeah. I, I never studied that. They both have these mysteries. So Moses is kind of like mysteriously their, yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Both of them. Um, huh. But you know. But the, they're the, kept. The but they're reality, kept by God. exactly. Yeah. The reality that death is not the end, Ooh. and that this God Messiah will actually defeat death is so, so powerful. So speaking of Hebrews, there's this other amazing verse that says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all of those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So this amazing God Messiah. Uh, So before this, in chapter 16, First, there's the conversation, who do you say I am? But then right after that, Jesus is like, I'm going to die. Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah. And just so you know, Messiah isn't what you think. I'm not going to actually like come in with machine guns and conquer Rome. I'm actually going to let them arrest me, beat me, kill me, but I'm going to raise. And Peter's like, no way. That's never happening to you. And Jesus' response is, not only is that going to happen in me, but I'm asking you also to pick up your cross and follow me, which is like yeah, the last thing on earth these dudes want to hear. Yeah. And so now this like transfigured Jesus. Who's clearly God. Clearly God. Is going to clearly die. His plan is still. His, and in fact, it says in, in Luke, what was it that uh, Jesus was talking about with Moses and Elijah? It says in Luke chapter 9, I believe, it says that they were discussing Jesus' death. So right here in all my radiant glory, like I could melt the universe with one word, I'm still choosing voluntarily the cross. to lay yeah. down my life on the cross to rescue you so that you can be resurrected. And I'm coming back again in this form, my, my transfigured form, to rule and reign for eternity in the second coming. So in this moment, the, the cross, well, it's, it's super clear to Peter, uh, this is God. So when he gets killed, that doubt isn't introduced. Oh, maybe he wasn't God. And then all of a sudden we see the merging of the cross and the glory of Christ in one. They're the same. They, they're, they're two sides of the necessary Jesus coin, Yeah, which is incredible. What what is interesting, and we talked about this briefly, you would think that this transfiguration would have helped Peter in the denial thing. 
Yeah, it's so weird when Jesus denies Christ. Peter. Peter. Sorry, yeah, what did I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, when Peter denies. When Peter denies Christ in that courtyard, he's denying the Christ he saw transfigured, which is like wild. He must have just been so scared, so yeah, he confused. Been, yeah. I mean, Jesus was pretty uh, upfront, yeah. overt, like, yeah. hey, I'm going to die and raise again. But it was just like, they couldn't, co- does not compute. Right. <laughs> um, but. Peter later in his life, after he sees the resurrected Jesus, actually gets a lot of hope from this transfiguration moment. Uh, in Second Peter chapter one, which Peter wrote, which Peter wrote, he is writing about his upcoming death, and he says this: Peter's upcoming death, yeah, where Peter's going to get killed. Peter's about to be executed, right? And so he's writing the church, and hey, guys, uh, I can tell my days are numbered here. Here are kind of my last words for you yeah. as I shepherd you, and I'm I'm powerful. Heading, I'm heading out of here. Yeah, powerful. And he says this: It's in um, Second Peter. 113 he said i think it is right to refresh your memory as long as i live in this tent of a body because i know that i will soon put it aside as the lord jesus made it clear to me which he did in that beautiful conversation uh, with the resurrected jesus in the gospel of john where jesus actually is redeeming his denial and says do you love me do you love me do you love me but then Jesus tells Peter and says, there's going to come a day when people are going to tie you up and bring you where you don't want to go. And dress you in clothes you don't want to be dressed in. Yeah. Foretelling Peter's execution. And then Peter goes on to say, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And here he's speaking of the transfiguration. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, this cloud that came down saying, this is my son whom I loved with him. I am well pleased. We overheard our this voice ourselves that came from heaven when we were with him there on the sacred mountain. Yeah. So this vision of Jesus transfigured is giving him hope and courage uh, as he faces his execution. He's actually God. He went to the cross for us. I saw Elijah and Moses. They were kept. Jesus yeah. had them. He's gonna, he died. He resurrected just like I saw. And I will be resurrected. Yeah, be Though up. I die, yeah. yet I shall live. This tent of a body. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <sighs> Good stuff. A lot in there. This passage is amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful. And yeah. I yeah I love the practice of commemorating it every year, just reminding ourselves again and again, Jesus is God. He's defeated death. I will resurrect, and Jesus is coming back again to set all things right. Uh, that's a really healthy reminder for yeah. us. Well, let's bless some grapes and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for stopping by. All right. Well, thanks a ton for being with us, Karina, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. 
Just want to say thanks to Karina Gerard for stopping by. Join me next week where we'll continue in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew 18. Jay Kim and Steve Clifford will be here. Steve's going to be back all the way from Italy. He's been in Italy. He's been in Italy with Dana for uh, a, a celebration there. So we'll get to hear, we'll get to see some of Steve's vacation slides. It'll be great. And we'll also get to talk about Matthew 18. So with that, we'll see you next week. Thank you.